Did you know one of the biggest debates within Christianity is about baptism? Specifically, whether to baptize infants or to baptize people after they confess faith in Christ. It's been a debate for centuries now and has been pretty heated throughout the years. And oftentimes when people think of baby baptism, they think of Catholics or Eastern Orthodox or some other church that's considered like a high church. But there's also Protestants like Lutherans and Presbyterians who also baptize children. And I was curious to learn more about what they believe, specifically Presbyterians. So sit back and enjoy this interview as I talk with Jeremy about why he baptizes children, how is it found in the Bible to baptize children rather than the other way around, and just to learn more about Presbyterian belief in general. What else do they confess? What else do they believe that may be unique? Thank you for listening. And as always, leave a like, comment, and subscribe if you enjoy this interview. Without further ado, let's go. Hello, everyone. Today I am with Jeremy, a Presbyterian pastor, and I'll let him introduce himself, so feel free to introduce yourself. Yeah, my name is Jeremy Collins, and I'm an associate pastor here at the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown, about 30 minutes north of Pittsburgh. So if you're in the Pittsburgh area, come visit us on the Lord's Day. We have worship every Sunday at 10 a.m. here, and we are in the EPC, which is the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, and I've had the pleasure of being here at this church for the past 17 years. I noticed that you're not wearing your robes right now, which is kind of disappointing. We don't we don't wear robes out in public or honestly our church has kind of moved away from wearing robes. Uh, Robes were a way to delineate academic difference between the the pastor and the people and we kind of felt that we wanted to go more the route of the priesthood of all believers and that we all are struggling through this together that the pastor isn't someone to be put up on a pedestal even in our language and our polity of Presbyterians. I'm not even technically a pastor. I'm a teaching elder. So I'm an Mm. ordained elder who's a teaching elder, and then we have ruling elders. Now, the term pastor is still used in my job description, but in the Presbyterian denomination, I'm a teaching elder, and then there's ruling elders to really put further that elders are all really the same. Some are then gifted in extra ways or other ways to do different parts of the office. So talking about Presbyterian, what makes them different from, let's say, other Christian denominations, specifically Protestants? Sure. Yeah, the the main difference is the system of government, how we govern ourselves, how we gather as a church body. And that would be we're elder-led, presbyter-led. And so that means we have a board of elders that's called the session that is in charge and responsible for all of the spiritual life and health of the church. Mm -hmm. So all of the spiritual development and discipleship, ultimately the book of order, uh, which is our system of government, how we understand to be gathered, delineates that all of that ultimately falls in the lap of the elders, that they're the ones responsible to make sure children are being discipled, to make sure adults are being discipled, to make sure that the Great Commission is being carried out. Okay, so... Within like a church service server, is Presbyterians normally more formal then because of their sort of structure? Or is it sort of like other Protestant congregations tend to be a little bit less formal? So uh, the formality or less formality of the worship service will vary between congregation to congregation. The structure of government of having a board of elders who are in charge, who also then gather as the full denomination 
uh, at a general assembly. That structure remains in place, but each local congregation is able to contextualize. So will our worship look the same way as the church we're gonna go visit down in Belfield in, Pets in Pittsburgh, in the church we're gonna go visit down in Oakland uh, in Pittsburgh, the, their worship service is going to look different because there's grace in that. Uh, but we will also organize the same way we'd hold to the Westminster Confession of Faith in our denomination as the sole subordinate standard to scripture, meaning scripture's first, everything in scripture first. And then how do we understand scripture? The Westminster Confession of Faith outlines what scripture teaches. What's the Westminster Confession of Westminster Faith? Confession of Faith <laughs> is a 1646 document that was brought together to solidify, and I'm not a, a, a Westminster historian, there's plenty of people that go way deep into that, but what the Westminster Confession of Faith is, is it's chapters and paragraphs with scriptural proofs outlining what we believe the Bible teaches. And so it's a document that we refer to to help us understand things. So if we want to talk about baptism from a Presbyterian perspective, we go to, uh, I think it's chapter 30. I'm not going to remember the chapter off the top of my head. This is why you can look it up. Um, but in the Westminster Confession of Faith, we can go and say, okay, what does uh, the Presbyterian system, what do Presbyterians believe about baptism? Here's a structure. And okay. so Westminster is basically our lens to help us understand, hey, here's what scripture does teach, and then it gives the scriptural proofs well, of I mean, that. Speaking of baptism, that's one thing that sets Presbyterians apart from a lot of other Protestants. Obviously, Lutherans would also baptize yeah. children. Um, I'm not sure if there's any other denominations within the Protestant category that also baptize children outside of Presbyterians um, and Lutherans. There, there, there might be some that would be non-denominational yeah. that would still hold to that covenant But it's view. not very common. But not denominationally. Like they'd yeah. be not affiliated to a denomination that I know of. Yeah, it's not, it's not very common that other Protestants would Correct. practice that. So explain kind of the thought process behind sure. the baptism of children. Why do Presbyterians do that? And what what was the reasoning behind it what was the re yeah so i think there's a lot of ways to come at this i'm going to give the thirty thousand foot view because we could be here a long time talking about it and i would actually encourage if you want to learn more do reading like there's a lot of, of good reading that can be done but basically the the idea comes out of the covenant understanding of scripture and so when we look at scripture as a whole a lot of people are going to say hey give me one verse and we were talking about this the other day, give me one verse or one scriptural proof that proves infant baptism. I say, well, okay, would you say the same thing about the Trinity? No, you're going to take the conglomerate of what scripture teaches to build the case. And that's what I would say we have with infant baptism. When we look at the way that God relates to people in scripture, he does that through covenants. He comes to Noah, he comes to Abraham, and he, Adam and Eve enters with a covenant. And so when we see these covenants, what carries with those covenants? A sign. We have with Noah the sign of the rainbow. We have with Abraham the sign of circumcision. And so where Presbyterians would align a lot of ideas and understanding with people who might hold to the 1689 London Baptist Confession, Baptists, we differ on this idea of baptism because we see a continuation of the covenant understanding versus folks that would take a Baptist perspective see a discontinuity mm -hmm. versus a continuity. And so places like Colossians chapter two, where Paul makes a connection between circumcision and baptism, that there's something linked here. The understanding that when we look at circumcision particularly, it was for the family that 
never was a covenant just with a person, but it was with families. Mm -hmm. And so we continue that into the new covenant. And that's where then you talk about other passages of the scripture that might back that up. But there isn't, you're not going to find a scripture verse that says, go do infant baptism. Mm -hmm. But you also aren't going to find a scripture verse that says, don't do infant baptism. And so I think this is where we have to wrestle. And while some people might have very strong convictions one way or the other, uh, there isn't a clear prohibition and there isn't a clear commandment, as some would say, I think it becomes clear as you look at the covenants, as you look at how that all plays out throughout history, the combining of all of those things. And then secondarily to all of that, you have uh, an argument from church history that it seems that some of the earliest writings that we have from the church fathers are mentioning these mm -hmm. baby baptisms. We would call them pedo baptisms yeah. or, or infant baptism. Um, and so that, that should carry very little weight in terms of what scripture says, but it should at least carry some weight to say, well, it was a practice of the early church. So we should at least consider that in our understanding. Mm -hmm. And do the children have to be a certain age when that takes place or what would be the process behind? So there's, yeah, there's been a lot of debate um, over even in, in very early on, how old should the child be? Should we stick with the eight days of circumcision? Should it be, uh, some have proposed that it should be at three years. There isn't a specific, it comes down to what some places and some specific congregations do. The, the main requirement is that baptism is for the children of believers. Mm -hmm. So that this is not a covenant of just, oh, we're just gonna sprinkle babies as they come into our church. We got a mister at the front door. <laughs> and, and no, this is for the covenant. The new covenant is for the household. And so it's for the believers and their children. And so the only folks that we will baptize are people that are covenanted with us, meaning our congregation mm -hmm. that are here. And the requirement is at least one preferably both parents would be believers. Mm -hmm. And part of what happens in a baptism um, time is there's, a, there's an answering of the parents of their statement of faith. What do you believe? Yeah. Do you believe this? Like they have to affirm their faith in Christ. And then the family and the congregation actually covenant together to raise and disciple this child in the faith. So it's not just a, um, oh, we sprinkled you and you're done. It's very much a family event. And what do you, how do you respond to people who would say that sprinkling a child doesn't count or sprinkling someone doesn't count as baptism? Because there's some who would argue that dunking is how you should do it. Yeah, I think you can go to mode. Um, there's a lot of conversation of how it must be done. And again, we don't have a, a clear defined scripture that condemns or affirms the mode of baptism. Mm -hmm. And I think we could get lost in that conversation of mode and miss the purpose. Mm -hmm. it, if it's possible, because we still will baptize adults. Yeah. And we have, we call those believers baptism, someone confesses faith and is baptized. Um, and at that point, if it was a household, we, we could do the household as well. Uh, so, and if you had the opportunity to go down to a river or you had the opportunity to immerse, there's nothing wrong with that. So I think for actually most Presbyterians would look at mode as a non-question. Yeah. We would accept all modes of baptism. Well, it, let me rephrase that. If I get a water gun, does it count? <laughs> that we would say that not all, yeah, exactly. Like a super soaker, I, I <laughs> joked about that. But I mean, we, we would look at that as, as 
not the best way. I think there's yeah. best practice and not best practice, but we wouldn't look down on immersion baptism. Uh, but we also wouldn't look at someone else who had been baptized in another tradition that's Christian and say your baptism is invalid. Mm-hmm. We, we, we don't rebaptize. Mm-hmm. Um, some denominations and some folks would. They would look at infant baptism as invalid and they would rebaptize. Mm-hmm. I think that's also a what does baptism? What does baptism represent or mean then within? I know you talk about the covenant side sure. of it, but what does it actually reflect or mean within the Presbyterian perspective, at least? So it's it's an entrance into the family of God, and so it's just like circumcision uh, was an outward sign of what God has covenanted. Same too with baptism, saying that this child is part of the covenant family, and so as part of the covenant family they are due to all the rights and privileges of being part of the family. Now, does that mean that at that point they are Christians or saved, or would that, is that a process? Uh, yeah, so do the waters of baptism save you? Uh, Peter says yes, and I think the waters of baptism point to the truth of salvation, but the waters in and of themselves, we don't, my, my daughters who are five and seven, when they were baptized, it, they are not uh, in what we would understand as confessing regenerate believers. Okay. Um, it, it's not like we, we sprinkle babies so that they don't go to hell. I think that's how some people perceive yeah. the understanding. So it's not like I'm a pastor going down to the hospital and walking through the ICU or the NICU and baptizing babies yeah. um, because that's not what we see the covenant. So like someone could grow up within a Presbyterian church, get baptized as a child, but then walk away from the faith later in life and completely abandoned. Yeah, in the same way as they could get up and have a believer's baptism and walk away from the faith. Yeah. And, and so I think that because the what we're saying is this is a child of the covenant. In the same way you could have been circumcised physically, yet mm-hmm. be removing yourself from the family of God and you could have walked away from Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it was a, also talked about a circumcision of the heart. So when what we do in Presbyterian denominations and okay then how do you know when someone comes to faith well that becomes a process then of we baptize babies and we confirm older children and what that Mm -hmm. means is we teach them we disciple them we catechize them we walk through the westminster confession uh and the larger and shorter catechisms and teach them what scripture says and then at a certain point usually we do that like preteen or teenage years we have them walk through a confirmation process mm-hmm. and our confirmation class is then teaching specific doctrines, helping them understand. Many of them have already had a profession of faith at that point, but then they become voting members of the church post confirmation. So they're baptized members and then there's full members. Baptized members are those that may not yet have professed faith in Christ. Could a seven-year-old profess faith in Christ? I believe so. Um, we don't have to figure out an age of accountability in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, we just disciple the kids and teach them to, to love scripture, to love God. And as that grows, that's a process. And so our hope and prayer, part of our prayer every time we baptize a child is that they would come to know and love Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. We don't know, but we're gonna do everything possible to teach them and raise them in such a way that they, they know who Christ is. Mm-hmm. And is there anything outside of the child baptism and some of the formal structure of how the Presbyterian denomination um, functions, is there anything outside that maybe rituals or rites or anything that may differ, be a little bit unique to the Presbyterians, or at least shared maybe only among a handful of other 
denominations? Good question. Uh, I think that every every denomination has can have its quirks. Yeah. Um, I don't speak for all Presbyterians. I am not the same. Uh, and there are different groups of Presbyterians. You have PCUSA, you have PCA, you have OPC, you have EPC, you have ECO, you have, I mean, you could throw all the logos up on the screen, yeah. but uh, each of them might come at things a little differently. The thing that usually delineates differences in Presbyterian comes down to how we organize, how we're structured, how our meetings are structured, mm -hmm. how we follow those structures. Um, but that can play out very differently in church traditions. So our church will do things maybe a little bit differently in tradition, the way that your church will, or that a church five minutes up the road would do. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that there's a specific other distinctive I mean, the, the main focuses of the Presbyterian Church are word and sacrament, as would many congregations would say that. And then you add to that that we're elder-led um, by elders. And so th mm -hmm. those would be the main distinctives, and everything else, I think, is more contextual. Okay. And are most Presbyterians in the Reformed category, or would they would there be variety there? So, the, yeah, the, most would say they are Reformed but then you have to ask, what does that even mean, right? So they find their roots in the Reformation, as all Protestants do. Uh, all Protestants have a connection to the Reformation in some way. Uh, and so the, the Presbyterian denominations would be all, quote-unquote, Reformed, but then it comes down to there might be things that are different, and some might call themselves Reformed, but not actually uh, adhere to things that would actually say you're reformed, like the doctrines of grace, yeah. like the five points of Calvinism, like the Westminster Confession of Faith. Now, those aren't the only things that make you reformed, but those are the, some of the Presbyterian distinctives. Mm -hmm. So, but then outside of sort of those categories, at least within your specific type of Presbyterian church, you still would fall in line with what may be considered more conservative or traditional Christianity yeah. outside of those sort of differences. Correct. Um, and by what I understand, you wouldn't necessarily um, separate yourself from the, the broad Christian uh, religion as a whole. Like, for instance, you wouldn't look at maybe a Baptist, as you mentioned earlier, and be like, they're not Christian because they don't follow our specific set of function. Yeah, and so that, that would be some, some of the difference would be, be that. Again, I think most of the difference comes in our system of government. Mm -hmm. um, Baptists are usually more congregational. But they would still, you would still consider them within the Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, that's, that's, well, the, that's the beauty is that some of these things aren't essential. We might disagree on baptism, and even you and I disagree on baptism. Yeah. Um, but the, there is, so, so the motto of the EPC helps under, understand that, is that uh, we have, in the unity, uh, the motto of the EPC helps with this, where it is we have in the essentials unity, uh, in the non-essentials liberty, and in all things the, charity. What would be considered the essentials? Uh, so we delineate that the essentials are the these seven pillars that are listed uh, in our documentation, and it's things like understanding God is three in one, understanding that the Word of God is, um, the Bible is the Word of God, inspired, inerrant, infallible, understanding that there will be a bodily resurrection, understanding um, that Jesus is fully divine, that the Holy Spirit is truly God. Like we're talking the core center of uh, the things that would take you outside of orthodoxy would mm -hmm. be what the essentials are. And, and so as you get outside of those, that's where we get into challenges because I think a lot of the problems we see in conflict 
between denominations uh, is people making things fundamental that I don't believe are fundamental to the Christian mm -hmm. faith that we can have difference on that might be a matter of interpretation or Christian liberty, like eschatology. We can have different perspectives of eschatology, but we, I think we must all believe because scripture teaches that there will be a bodily resurrection. Mm -hmm. Like we can disagree on the, on how it all comes about. But if we disagree on that, then I think we're disagreeing on a core center of the hope we have in Christ. And when you get to that, I don't even necessarily, I think you, you can know even, the bodily resurrection of Jesus specifically or of the believers after of that, that we will be bodily resurrected. We're going to okay. be given new bodies that way. like in the bodily resurrection of Christ. Yes. <laughs> that it wasn't just, um, a metaphor or something else, but also in that how God brings everything about. I think scripture is clear on these things. Now, can you be out of bounds in even some of these essentials and still be a, a follower of Christ? Sure, I believe so, but I think that that means that then there's areas of sanctification that still are needed in process. And it's a very fluid, I don't like getting in, and we've said this before, I don't like getting into situations where I would have to decide is this person a believer or not? I, yeah. I don't get into those judgment calls. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's just messy and there's no need for it. But mm -hmm. All right. I think that's interesting. I think that was most of my questions regarding the Presbyterian denomination and belief system. Sure. Um, I'm not sure if there's anything else you think would be worth sharing uh, before we would conclude this portion of the interview. Uh, well, I, I think that ultimately, if you are someone who is looking for a church, I, I think the thing that I would want to communicate from a pastoral perspective, and, and Presbyterians feel this way, but we for sure aren't the only ones, is that the local church is essential to your discipleship as a Christian. That there is no such thing as lone, lone wolf Christianity. You can't say, I just want Jesus, get rid of religion. Um, I think scripture doesn't allow for that because this the ecclesia, the gathering of the church is so essential. So I'd encourage you, you watching, if you don't have a local church, find a local church. And if you're someone who's investigating Christianity, go and meet with a pastor and talk with the elders or the leaders at the church. Almost all of them would love to do that. I would love to sit down and get coffee with anyone who would be interested to learn and know more. And coming with that humble approach um, is a really just great way to build relationship and find out if that plugs in for you. Because ultimately the goal that we have here is the Great Commission. And that's the same goal that your church has. That's the same goal that every church has. And so we should be able to link arm in arm and let some of those other doctrinal things fall to the wayside mm -hmm. um, and not be divisive for us. And the people who watch my channel, they should uh, be encouraged to talk to other faith people anyway. Please, so please. Watching my content should inspire you to talk to people from different backgrounds. And if you're exploring Christianity, not be afraid to go ask some serious good questions. Yeah, not so. every Presbyterian pastor is like what you see online or uh, we're human beings, normal, mm -hmm. just flawed, sinful, broken. Uh, he's seen this firsthand as he's visiting this week, but yeah. That's right, I've seen, I have seen things. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you guys for watching. If you like this interview, leave a like, comment, and subscribe. And also go check out my other videos on Backpack Religion, where you can see sort of my touring of this church. You can see my whole like living with a pastor for a weekend. All these different on the ground videos, blog style stuff. They're a lot of fun. Go check them out. Links in description. And as always, friends, go out there and light the world yourselves. Oh,